show is back and my mustached masked marauder is back in the bunker how you feeling warren warren is is joining us via skype today every other week he'll be in person and uh, in his bunker so how's the bunker bunker is great i got the six monitors here other screens over there and uh crank man i love week two because you get the re- Try not to overreact. You get to measure the uh, overreactions from the public. We're going to dig into all of it. Lots of great stats and information. Can't wait to do this show with you, man. Uh, we talked last night. Um, candidly, there's going to be two themes uh, from today. Theme number one, let's see where the public's overreacting to, which Warren just said. Theme number two, Warren, I need your help because I don't know what to believe, and I know that you've been going through a ton of data. Uh, now we have actual data, and granted it's a small sample size, and we're going to go through how to how to explain it, but um, you, you actually believe that you have an advantage in week two because people swing so hard after week one? Yeah, I mean, look, this is a small sample size sport. We'll get into all of that momentarily, but one of the things that people do, they trust their eyes. They trust their eyes far too much. And last week, there was a lot of matchups and mismatches and games within the game. And people, a lot of times, they can't pay attention to all the games. So they look at the box score or they look at you know the final score on the scoreboard. And so they're not accounting for a lot of the context and the other things that we are noticing that when you dig deep into the numbers, you can utilize to gain an advantage in week two. They're just reacting based on the final score of a game mm. or a guy who looked awesome. And so we can use that to our advantage um, and, and try to go against the public in some situations. First thing I do want to talk about, just because there was news that hit right before we're recording, which is at around 11 on Thursday, Sam Darnold out Monday with mono and my first reaction was uh it's thursday isn't a little bit too early for him to be out for the game my second thought was freaking bono i've never had mono or i don't think you've had mono but you're telling me this is not just a one-week injury we might not have sam darnold for a few weeks no we won't um look i think adam gaze had to come out today and explain this issue because he's not going to be a practice. It's something that makes you bedridden. It really wears you down. So he's going to have to answer the questions anyways. Why isn't Sam Darnold practicing? You guys have a game on Monday night. Um, this is a multi-week injury. Again, I have never had it, but uh, it, it puts you out, zaps your energy and your strength, um, and you're sick. So he's going to be in bed. I think we're probably the earliest that we would see him is week five coming out of the bye. They have a week four bye. Week three, they have to go and play the Patriots. Week four, they get a bye. Week five, they play the Eagles. So I think at earliest, we'll see him against the Eagles. Um, how does this impact us if we're trying to make money off of this right now? Well, the game has been pulled off the board. I'm seeing some spots are now opening up at six and a half um, in favor of the Browns. I think that's it probably was two a little bit half. too. Yeah, it was two and a half. It's a four point line move. I think it's probably a little bit too high, but 
I'm going to ride it out. I mean, the public is going to keep betting this number a little bit higher. I think they're probably going to push it up to seven and maybe through seven. We'll just have to see. Uh, only one spot, and that's the Westgate, even has it up right now at six and a half. So for, for me, for the Super Contest, because it came out at two and a half, I still get that, right? Yeah. you'll your, If your Super Contest lines are already out, those are already locked. So, I mean, I would, I would venture to say like 99% of the people are going to have the uh, the Cleveland Browns. Minus I will two be and a half. I will be one of those. I'm taking the Browns <laughs> minus two and a half. Okay. Um, so the first thing that I want to do with you, Warren, is let's teach everybody. You're going to teach me. You're going to teach the 33 percent on on some things that we took away from week one, from all of the team reports that you're making, from all of the the film that you're watching, all the analytics you're looking at. Um, and the first thing is, let's look at a storyline that everyone's talking about and see if you have any analytics on one side or the other. I believe that what we saw of Lamar Jackson was unbelievable. Uh, I thought it was exactly what we needed to see. I'm seeing a lot of people tell me that it was only because it was the Dolphins. Betting the Ravens going forward, what did your analytics show you about Lamar Jackson, about whether this is believable? You're absolutely right. I mean, a lot of people like I was big on Lamar Jackson. I was huge on it all summer going all over the place, telling people about Lamar Jackson. I think he's going to impress you guys. I think he's going to exceed your expectations for how he passes the football. The issue was that in week one, everybody's writing off his performance saying, oh, it was just against the Miami Dolphins. You know, don't really take pay no mind to this because everybody's going to crush the, the Dolphins. However, now we've got great analytics. We've got great next-gen stats. And we can look at the adjusted completion percentage and expected completion percentage for some of his passes. We know that he completed 85% of his pass attempts. But the degree of difficulty on a lot of those pass attempts, we can now measure. We can measure it based upon how close the pass rusher was to him, how close the defender was to the receiver, and exactly where the ball was placed. And so many of these bombs down the field were dimes like literal dimes Incredible. right on the money. You would have fit that completion in. It doesn't matter whether you're playing the Patriots. doesn't matter whether you're playing the Broncos. doesn't matter whether you're playing the Green Bay Packers. It does not matter when the ball is perfect and only the receiver can catch it. His, his expected completion percentage was 60%. He completed 85% of those passes above average wow. by 25%. It was a it was a phenomenal performance. So you absolutely have to look at the context in all these situations. But Lamar Jackson's context just makes it even more cemented that that performance was tremendous. The issue is, can he carry it forward against the Arizona Cardinals? But that performance in week one was as good as you thought it was. Do not take away anything just because he played the Dolphins. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool now that we can look at the game and go, sure, he completed 85, but even the way the defense was playing, it was supposed to be about 60. So the fact that he exceeded that by 20% shows you this was not just a guy that took advantage of a, of a poor opponent. He himself took it to another level. I think another thing that you took away from week one, coaching tendencies. And specifically, this is now for your in-game betters. Myself, I do a lot of ATS against the spread, but I know a lot of people out there, the 33%, they love to jump on bets midway or at halftime. And you saw two coaches that we could take advantage of, maybe if they have a lead in week two and beyond, and that would be Patricia and Bill O'Brien. What did you see? Yeah, I saw first and foremost from Matt Patricia, a coaching staff 
that came out and was balanced, but tilted a little bit towards the pass on early downs. They went 54% pass on early downs. Which is which surprising. Is, well, it's that's that's a, that's about average. It's it's about I meant more for Patricia coach team. Below yeah. average, like yeah, I mean, from Matt Patricia, you're going to expect them to run the ball a little bit. So the fact that they were passing it at 54%, you know, I think that that was a good thing. That's what helped their team. But in the second half, they built the lead and they switched. They flipped from 54% pass to 61% run mm. on early downs. And those runs were very inefficient. And that is what allowed, and I know you, you know, like the Lions last week, that is what allowed the Cardinals to get back in there in the second half. It's part of the reason. But the Lions offense not being able to control the ball, move it down the field as consistently in that second half was largely a result of them getting too conservative from a play-calling perspective. Mm. And then what about Bill O'Brien? I mean, I know they also lost their lead to the Saints, but did you see similar play-calling? Yeah, the Bill O'Brien, you know, he is one of the most run-heavy conservative coaches in the NFL. Um, I was really curious to see what his tendencies were going to be now that they didn't have, like, their Lamar Miller, their true ball cow back. But they actually, and, and we'll talk about this later, had a lot of success running the football with Carlos Hyde. And so they stuck a little bit more with Carlos Hyde. My frustration with Bill O'Brien, I mean, it would take a separate podcast to go over that entire thing because this guy is going to kill Deshaun Watson. I mean, we saw what happened with Andrew Luck. That's exactly what's going to happen with this guy. You have to be more efficient on early downs. He is putting Deshaun Watson in these third and Superman situations where Deshaun Watson has to pull out the cape, jump in the phone booth, come out with the cape to convert these third downs time and time and time again because of what Bill O'Brien does on these early downs. And it's going to literally kill Deshaun Watson. And I do mean that I mean, he couldn't fly to a game last year because of some of the hits he took. That offensive line, they got tonsled, but it's still not 100%. And it is going to be a problem for them. And Bill O'Brien, he did get a little bit more conservative there in the second half. And, you know, I was looking at that game and I saw the 14 to three score at halftime. I was like, Saints second half, baby. This is this is a I had the Texans plus seven. It was one of like my stronger feels of the week last week. Um, and, and so we were on the Texans plus seven. But if you were on Texans plus seven, taking the Saints at halftime, seemed like a wise thing to do because of the way Bill O'Brien coaches this team, especially with the lead in the second half. All right, so that's for all the homies out there. If you're watching a game and you see Detroit or Houston with a nice little first-half lead and you have a nice little service, going the other way in the second half is probably the smart move there. I like that. You're teaching us, Warren. You're giving us the Easter eggs right now, putty. Baby, you know Okay. Um, your specialty, though, is – personnel groupings you you study this more than anybody else and you're really good at tracking how if one team plays 11 all the all the time and they're playing a team that doesn't do well against 11 you have seen that that is a statistic that you can bet on because that's what NFL coaches are looking at like to be honest whenever I talk to players they go when they go to 21 we want to come out in this they react to that and you can tell the success and we you were very curious this offseason because we had 15 new offensive coordinators in the preseason you for the first time studied personnel groupings in the preseason to see if it correlated to the regular season did it did we see that carry over from preseason to regular season Absolutely. And and I'll tell you guys, especially if we're doing some of these podcasts, 
cast next. Okay, we will definitely want to look at what these coaches were doing in the preseason because so many of these coaches, they'll hide their starters nowadays. They'll hide their starters. They will hide their specific plays. They're not going to try to call the same types of plays. What they can't hide is personnel groupings because they have to build out their 53-man roster. So they have to figure out, well, how many tight ends are we going to need? How many wide receivers are we going to need based on the offense that we want to run? So, so many of these teams utilize the same exact personnel groupings during the preseason at the similar rates to then what they did during the regular season. And there's a number of examples. We'll go through some of them as we're talking about uh, the games. But it's definitely something that I focused on for the first time ever during the preseason. It ended up having a massively strong correlation towards the regular season. And now we're able to use week one personnel groupings to our advantage when we're handicapping week two and look at some of the teams we know now what types of personnel groupings that they're going to want to use in this week two matchup and we can see how that defense did against similar personnel groupings in their week one game and you're right nobody else out there is really factoring this in as much i have a free uh, stats website sharpfootballstats.com you guys can go up there i've got personnel groupings visualized uh and and that's like the best website i think to because nobody else is actually even tracking this. So most people who write articles in the around the NFL landscape end up citing to that website because of that you know, free analysis that is up there. But it's great to utilize, and we're going to be talking about a bunch today. Yeah, so let's, let's use a game to kind of spotlight what you mean by this. So uh, one of the most fascinating games for that we agreed on was Arizona-Baltimore this week because of the formations that both of them use. And I think... You know, we saw that Miami didn't really have success against Baltimore, except you found one personnel grouping that Miami really did have success. What was that for Miami against Baltimore? Yeah, so, um, you know, what Miami was doing a lot of, uh, they were they were very balanced. Like Adam Gase was the Dolphins coach last year, and Adam Gase is massive 11 personnel. That means three wide receivers. Just so everybody out there knows, because we're going to be talking about this, many of your listeners, I'm sure, are very educated on this. Personnel groupings, it's a two-digit number. The first stands for the number of running backs. The second digit stands for the number of tight ends. And then there's five total skill position guys out on the field because you got five offensive linemen plus a quarterback. That's six. There's 11 right. guys out there. So there's five skill positions. You take five minus the sum of the personnel grouping. The two-digit so you, number. You, you broke up really quick. Let me just explain it one more time. If Warren says 11... That means one running back, one tight end, and then five minus two is three. So there's three wide receivers. If he says, if he says um, 20, that's two running backs, no tight ends, three wide receivers. And you just, the math goes like that. Right, exactly. And so what the Dolphins did once Adam Gase left is they utilized a lot more uh, heavy personnel groupings. Gase took his three wide sets up to the Jets. The Dolphins started using what New England had because Chad O'Shea was the was the offensive coordinator right. in New England. He comes down for the Dolphins, so uh, they're using a lot more two tight end sets, two running back sets out on the field. When they were in heavy personnel, they did not have a lot of success against the Baltimore Ravens. They had a 0.6 passer rating, no touchdowns, two interceptions, wow. averaged 3.2 yards per attempt. When they went to three wide receiver sets or more, they averaged a 7.8 yards per attempt. So go from 3.2 up to 7.8. That 0.6 passer rating went up to a 105 passer rating. And they threw their only touchdown out of the game. So they spread out the Baltimore Ravens defense with more wide receivers. 
They had some success doing that. Baltimore was already down their starting um, cover corner at, at the slot. They lost Tavon their, Young. Probably their they lost one of their best cornerbacks of the of the team, Jimmy Smith, whose MCL injury are massive. Yep. And now, who are they facing? They're facing the Arizona Cardinals, a team who runs primarily four wide receivers, a team who tried to get clever in the first quarter of that game. As you saw, they were trotting out a little 21. They were trotting out a little bit of 12. They were trotting about some 11. And guess what? They weren't having a lot of success. And Cliff Kingsbury, after the game, said, we got a little bit too cute. I tried to do too much. Right. In the second half of 38 offensive plays, 33 of them came from 10 personnel, which is one running back, no tight ends, four wide receivers wow. spreading out the defense. And guess what they're going to be able to do against Baltimore? They're going to try to spread out that Baltimore defense with a lot of wide receivers. That's where Arizona had some success last week. That's where Baltimore's defense struggled last week, matched the two up. Maybe Arizona's offense is able to do a little bit more than some people expect. So is that for you like this to me sounds like a perfect storm where one team is not great at three or more wide receivers on the field and they're amazing when you try and load up with the bigs. And then you have a team in Arizona that their second half they exploded and it was all in four wide receivers. Is that something even for you, Warren, that you star and that you kind of go, this is this is like perfect personnel music for me? Yes, absolutely. I mean, when you're having like uh, a strength on a weakness, those are the things that you're checking off and saying, OK, this is a matchup that I'm guessing that the Arizona Cardinals are going to benefit from. It worked, by the way, on the other side of the ball, too. If we want to look at where the Cardinals were getting burned a little bit last week, and if you want to transition into talking about the Ravens offensive yeah. personnel, sure. the the Arizona Cardinals last week played the Detroit Lions, as you well know. Detroit, with Matt Patricia, a very balanced personnel grouping team. They actually use far more heavy personnel groupings than most teams do. They used to use tons of 11 back when, yes. before Matt Patricia, when there's just Matthew Stafford trotting out these three wides. But they've gone a lot more heavy of late. I mean, TJ Hawkinson was all over the freaking place. TJ Hawkinson killed him. And I tweeted out on my Twitter handle a couple of still shots of massive big plays that the Detroit Lions were recording against this Arizona Cardinals defense and defenders were nowhere to be found. These these receivers were catching the ball and 20 yards, you know, uh, around them in a radius. There was no defenders at all. Well, when were they recording those big plays. Those big plays in the past game were not coming when Detroit was running 11 personnel. When Detroit was running 11 personnel with three plus wide receivers, they only averaged 5.7 yards per attempt and 82 passer rating. But when they went in heavy personnel where it looks like you might run the football and then they passed out of it, Matthew Stafford averaged 15 yards per pass attempt, wow. 143 passer rating. So that's where they were gutting this Arizona Cardinals defense who's down. Two that- starting cornerbacks, and that, to me, Warren, is like what the Ravens' specialty is, like a heavy formation that they're going to pass out of. Absolutely. That's the thing that the Ravens do. If you're going to try to come up and stop the run against Baltimore, they're going to make it look like run and throw the ball right over the top of your head. And I definitely think that there's going to be plenty of advantages for the Ravens at home at home this time, not on the road. And the Cardinals are not playing at home. They're playing on the road. So we got reverse situations from uh, the site 
uh, status here. I think the Ravens are going to have a lot of success making things look like run and then throwing the ball on the Arizona Cardinals. So you discovered this Sunday night, Monday morning. When did you discover that this is a phenomenal matchup for Arizona's offense and a phenomenal matchup for Baltimore's offense? Yeah, um, so I get I uh, I work for some teams and I download uh, data that I've paid for and then I run it through a lot of different models and, and I get some data Monday night uh, sorry Sunday night at midnight after those games end and I'm up all night uh, Sunday night into Monday working and then I get other data on Monday night at midnight the personnel grouping data which I get comes in on mo- on Monday night at midnight. So, because it takes a little while, you have to chart out by hand. And did you already move on this? Because this, this to me sounds like an over. Did you already move on this? Yeah. So, if um, if you're looking at the screen right now, or those of you guys that are listening to the podcast, we'll see where it is when when this thing actually airs. But uh, this game opened at like 41 and a half, 42. Wow. I sent out on Monday. Usually, so a client's a chart football analysis. Usually, I don't put out games on Monday, but I saw something with this game that I really liked because I was manually doing some some analysis of the personnel groupings. I had an understanding before I got the actual hardcore numbers. I knew we were going to have an edge in this game, that both teams might be able to score here. So I sent out to clients on Monday at 11.35 in the morning, yeah. over 43, which is where the market was. Within about 15 minutes, 43s became 45. We moved the market by two full points within about 15 minutes. From there, other guys piled on as playing the steam. What that means is you can just look at the screen and you can see where it looks like a big move came in, right? If like a few guys, sharp guys are just betting like a random game, it's not going to move two full points within 15 minutes. That is a massive, a lot of money came down on this game to move it that amount by two full points in such a short time period. So other guys who are like semi-sharp that are just like studying their screens are like, holy crap, this looks like a game I should be a part of. So now they're the ones that are betting over 45, over 45 and a half, over 46. This line got up to as high as 47. That's a four point line move. Uh, and so that's like unheard of in the NFL. I usually move games when I release them to clients, but by that amount is, is really astronomical. So I will tell the 33% right now, I like this game. I still like this game. I do not like it at 47, 46 and a half. Wait, wait until closer to game time. And here is why, and this is a lesson you can use over the course of the entire season. There are certain sharp groups out there that believe the lines maker is always right, especially mm. on totals. And, and they're not like me where I know I've got an edge. I've got my own model. I know that I can beat the lines maker very consistently on my totals model. But these other guys, they don't have their models. They just think the lines maker is better than the rest of the people out there. And so when a game is going to move by several points off of what it opened at, they're always going to come in late and bet it back to that opening number. So they're going to bet under 46 and a half, under 46, and drop this line down, I'm almost 100% positive of that. And so by waiting, you're ultimately going to get a better number. So 33%, watch it Saturday, watch it Sunday. If it starts creeping down to 45, that's when you jump on. Let me say this again for everybody. Gambling is fucking crazy. Betting on the NFL is wild. 
Don't do this unless you have m- income to spend. Also, let me say that if you have a gambling problem, that there are hotlines out there. At the same point, if it gets down to 45, I'm going to be jumping all over that. <laughs> but see, but the thing is that I love about this, Warren, is this isn't we got a hunch. This isn't, you know what, I think there might, no, no, we have personnel groupings, we have trends, it all makes sense, I think that's what's beautiful, and there were some other personnel groupings that jumped out to you, one of the games of the week, I think, is Green Bay, Minnesota, and you see a nice little personnel matchup there, too, that might lead to some points. Yeah, so one of the things about the Green Bay Packers is that, you know, offensively, we know they were experimenting with a lot of things, oh, right? Oh, it looked um, rough. It, lo- it looked rough, and this was a team that we knew in the preseason, based upon what I was studying, that they were going to use a lot less 11 personnel. They came out on early downs last year and used 71, I think maybe 73% 11 personnel under Mike McCarthy. Wow. During the preseason, 71% dropped all the way down to 50%. They were using a lot more heavy groupings of 21 and 12. That means sometimes two tight ends, sometimes two running backs out on the field at once, and less 11 personnel. Week one, they did the very same thing. Actually, that 11 personnel dropped to a below 50% rate. So that's what Green Bay was doing. Minnesota Minnesota also had a massive decrease in 11 personnel. A lot of these teams in the NFC North, they're going like old school, like more 12 and 21, which is actually smart. Uh, we could talk about that a totally different day. Yeah, it's just the, it's just the fact that the NFC North has gone from the Lions trotting out three wide receivers, the Packers trotting out three wide receivers, and the Vikings. I mean, the Vikings went into the season with like four or five wide receivers on their roster total. So what we're seeing in the NFC North is a lot of teams playing only two wide receivers and then with some combination of three running backs or tight ends. Exactly, exactly. And so when I look at this game, Minnesota versus Green Bay, What I see is that the Green Bay Packers last season were the NFL's worst defense defending two wide receiver sets. Okay, not three wide receiver sets, but when the offense went to a heavier grouping and only had two wide receivers out there, this defense allowed 8.8 yards per pass attempt, a 132 passer rating, and an NFL worst 64% success rate on those passes. Guess what? Minnesota uses. We just talked about it. Minnesota has gone a lot more to those heavier personnel groupings. They used very little 11 personnel in their week one opening game, and they instead used a lot more 12 and 21, even 22 at times. And for that reason, I think it's going to be very interesting to see how Green Bay's defense, which is still coached by D.C. Mike Pettin, same as last year. They got a couple better players in there. But how are they going to do against that grouping? The other thing that I'll note about this game that's of interest is that the Chicago Bears, Chicago against Green Bay last week, wasted almost a third of the game running 20 personnel. 20 20 personnel. 20 is two running backs, no tight ends, three wide receivers. Their tight end group is not healthy. So they trotted out two running backs instead because they like their backs and three wide receivers. They ran that 21 of their offensive snaps last week, uh, Chicago Bears did. On the entire season of 2018, they used it six times. Six times all of last year, they used it 21 times this year. It was terrible. They averaged 2.7 yards per attempt and a 33% success rate when they were using 20 personnel, a new grouping for them. 
Minnesota is not going to be using any 20 personnel like that. Minnesota is going to be having the tight end out there on the field to help with pass protection against this green, uh, Chicago Bears pass rush. I'm, I'm interested to see what ends up happening here. I, that's interesting to me, especially because I believe that the Green Bay Packers defense is a lot better than last year by the additions of Preston and, and Zadarius Smith and, and Savage in the back. At the same point, um, I wasn't sure how much credit to give them because of, you know, Trubisky and the play calling that Nagy was doing because I think Nagy comes up with some very interesting play calls, but he's one of those offensive coordinators that I don't, I don't think streams together plays well. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't build on his offensive mindset, but the fact that you're telling me Green Bay was the worst in the NFL against two wide receiver sets and Diggs is not on the injury report this week and, and I saw what I saw at a Dalvin Cook last week uh, it's interesting the other one that we did talk about the fact that Sam Darnold is going to be missing Monday Night Football with Mono you already saw some issues if the Jets and Adam Gase who you, who you said is super 11 he loves three wide receivers in the field and if he's playing the Browns, they actually were they weren't great against the Tennessee Titans, but they were great when the Titans tried to put out three wide receivers. I mean, this that was already looking like an issue against the Jets on Monday night. Yeah, the fascinating uh, personnel grouping discussion for this Monday night game. Um, look. Adam Gates, we know he runs a ton of 11 personnel. Well, exactly what you said. When Tennessee went up against this Cleveland Browns defense in week one, Tennessee uses a lot of like heavy groupings as well. And when they were in there, two, only two wide receivers or less out on the field, when they were passing out of heavier sets, which, by the way, that's a cheat code. That's a cheat code. NFL teams, more teams need to do this. I've been preaching about it for a couple of years. Get a heavier personnel grouping out there. Make the offense or the defense confused. They don't know if you're going to pass or you run. And passing out of heavy sets, whether you're throwing to tight ends or running backs, is a lot more efficient than a lot of NFL teams realize. That All that being said, when Tennessee was out there in their two wide receiver sets, 16 yards per attempt and three passing touchdowns. Wow. When Tennessee was out there with three wide receivers, 2.4 yards per attempt and zero touchdowns. Okay, imagine that. They're, they're still passing like over 15 times out of each grouping. One of them's averaging 16 yards per attempt. One of them is only 2.4. Okay, so the Jets' defense, the Jets' offense, rather, is going to be using a lot of three wide receiver sets without Quincy and Nunwa, by the way. Yeah. And that's playing right into the teeth of what Cleveland's defense did really well last week, where the Brown, where the Tennessee Titans were get, making hay is getting heavier personnel out there. We know Chris Herndon is suspended the first four weeks of the season. That's the Jets' best tight end, a right. real great weapon for Sam Darnold. They're down at tight ends, too. So they, I, I'm guessing Gase, if I'm Adam Gase, I'm, if, or if I'm advising Adam Gase, I'm suggesting use more heavier sets. But Knowing Adam Gase, he's not going to want to really do that no. because 11 is his thing and we don't have healthy enough tight ends. So I think that's going to be a problem. And now you got a backup quarterback out. What, what if we flip the Monday night football game? Because I'm always curious when a former coach faces his former team. So Greg Williams, you know, wanted that Cleveland coaching job and now he's the Jets defensive coordinator. And we know this man brings a lot of pressure uh, and he's going up against a Cleveland team that I know they run a lot of 11. They want to get they want to get Landry and they want to get Odell and they want to get all their receivers on the field in Higgins. How do you see that side going? 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting. You know, Freddie Kitchens, when he came into Cleveland last year, one of the big things that he improved over what Hugh Jackson had been doing is he utilized a lot more heavy sets. Right. He gave uh, Baker Mayfield more protection. He utilized uh, an extra tight end out there, whereas Hugh Jackson was running a lot of 11. They started running a lot more heavy personnel, getting Sam Darnold, uh, sorry, Baker Mayfield under center a little bit more. Yeah. What Hugh Jackson, uh, sorry, what uh, Freddie Kitchens did in week one is they ended up using 94% 11 personnel. I was shocked. I was shocked to do the numbers and see how much 11 personnel they utilized in week one. And that's really a problem because it was very inefficient when they were passing the ball out of 11 personnel, which he did. I mean, we obviously saw Baker Mayfield was put under pressure. He was throwing pick sixes. He wasn't all that accurate. So I think they need to switch a little bit more to going to some heavier personnel. The problem for them is if I'm also Freddie Kitchens, I'm looking at my team and I say, what is the strength of my team? Yeah, I've got Jarvis Landry. I've got Odell Beckham. Like I've got David Njoku. So he's a great tight end number one, but my third wide receiver is better than my second tight end. So maybe I don't want to have another tight end. And then I just traded away Duke Johnson. So I can't have two running backs out on the field, right? I got Nick Chubb. I love him. I, I don't have, um, Hilliard's you know, okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, I think that he's going to be in this predicament where he's probably still going to use a lot of wow. uh, 11 personnel here. And guess what? Greg Williams, you know, he takes things personally. He's the bounty. He's the bounty gate coach, right? Yeah. People don't, I mean, remember that he's the bounty gate coach. He's the guy in new Orleans who was, you know, levying bounties on injuring different players. Like, he got passed up for this job. If you think that he's not going to have this Jets defense prepared to go up against the Cleveland Browns offense, you got another thing coming. So I was so, already looking at the Jets, especially if I could get three points. But, uh, you know, the, this whole Sam Darnold thing obviously is going to make me rethink it and reanalyze that game. So this is this is actually a good note for the 33 percent. When you're watching Monday Night Football, we're not going to glean a lot when the Jets are on the field. When you don't have Sam Darnold out there, we're not going to learn a lot. But when the Browns offense is on the field, count how many wide receivers are on the field. If you're watching the Browns offense and you keep seeing three wide receivers, then we're seeing something right now that we might have to bet against moving forward with the Browns because they're obsessed with playing their three wide receivers. But if we watch Monday Night Football and we see two running backs and a tight end or two tight ends and one running back and just two wide receivers, then we're seeing a coach in Freddie Kitchens that went back, said, I got a little bit too heavy on this and is willing to adjust. Is that fair to say, Warren? Yes, definitely fair to say. I want both of these coaches to use less 11 personnel on both sides of the ball, but I'm very, uh, I'm very doubtful. Doubtful that, that will actually end up happening. I'm doubtful for Gase. I'm hopeful for Kitchens. Gase has shown that he's obsessed with this throughout his entire career. And when you get to the podium the, a few days after an epic loss and you go, I'm the coach of the team, I could do what I want, that's a quote where I go, he's sticking with 11. But Freddie Kitchens, I hope, can go back and look at last year and go, why was I successful? And it's because you were passing out of heavy sets. My, my only question about the whole passing out of heavy sets thing, Warren, is – is it, is it possible that we can – we all want our, our teams to do it, right, because it, it shows that it's more successful. But 
Don't you need to have some variety? Could it be possible that these coaches go too heavy on heavy? Or from your from your mindset, you really can't. If you go 100% heavy, then that's actually the best thing to do. No, I 100% agree with you. You've got to have variety and balance things up. Um, that's why even like the New England Patriots and other teams that utilize like a lot of 21 personnel, they're still right around like 45 to 50% 11 personnel, uh, which is half the, half the plays, right? Half right. the plays. But you want to mix in enough heavy, um, you know, obviously the Arizona Cardinals, that air raid offense is not going to go heavy, right? That is their strategy and their right. style. So I'm interested to see how that works. But they're like fully on board, like 100% sold out to do right. that. Now, they hid that in the preseason, mind you. They used no more than three wide receivers in the preseason. Uh, uh, on early downs, and then they trot out, of course, a ton of uh, four wide receiver sets. But I think teams need to pass more out of heavy sets and run more out of spread sets. Get 11 personnel out there, get your three wide receivers, and then run the ball out of that. Dictate mm. matchups. More and more teams, Adam, this is what they need to do. They need to call a play and have it be a pass play and have the quarterback get to the line of scrimmage and do a quick box count. How many defenders are in here that are going to be able to stop the run game versus my offensive line and blockers? And if they don't have enough, I'm going to audible to a run play. If they've got enough defenders in there where this run is not going to be efficient, if I'm going to audible to it, I'm just going to stick with the pass play that's dialed up. We need to have more teams that are going to the line of scrimmage and tweaking their play calls quickly at the line in order to take advantage of what that defense is presenting them. So if you line up in 21 or 12 and you're a heavy set with only two wides and that defense looks like it's ready to stop your run, then I want you to audible to a pass, make it a quick, easy check. Sometimes you audible to, you make it seem like it's a, it's just, it's an audible, but you're not audibling at all. Like you can't get predictable yes. with your audibles either. So you can't always come up in heavy. And then anytime you audible, the defense knows you're going to pass, right? Like, there's so many different layers to this um, that teams need to incorporate a little bit more, but it's fun to talk about. I just got an alert that Josh Doxson's going on the IR for Minnesota, and that means that Minnesota is 1,000% going to be playing with two wide receivers the entire game because I don't think Chad Beebe is going to be playing that much. So that that actually like benefits your trends so much in a weird way. Yeah, it does, plus the fact that Josh Doxson isn't really good at football, unfortunately. Yeah. Um you know, I, that that's just a bad situation. You don't you don't root for guys to be no, bad. I was rooting not. for him. I was rooting for him to like uh, turn his career around in Minnesota. Right? We know he struggled in DC, yeah. and that didn't work out. He was a high first round drafted pick. Uh, didn't work out there. I was really hopeful for him in in Minnesota. So yeah, but you're probably right. It's going to be more heavy. That's I gave uh, Warren a homework assignment last night, and the homework assignment was, Warren, I know that there are some trends out there for week two that I've, I keep hearing about, and I always forget them. Can you find me some trends? And the first thing that Warren wrote down was, now, I don't follow trends, but I will share these. You believe that this is a tool, but it is not something that is guaranteed. But let me say these trends, because I'm going to say them, and I'm guaranteeing you that the 33% is going to hear them and go, let's fucking go. Because when I read them, I went, let's fucking go. <laughs> First one, teams off of a week one loss that are a home underdog. What are they against the spread, Warren Sharp? What did you find? 24 and 8 
That's 75% ATS since 2010. So this is a team that lost in week one that is a home underdog. And then you went a little bit deeper and you looked if the line was six or less. What was their record then? 20 and five, which is 80%. I mean, I tightened it a little bit. There's some big dogs that didn't do quite as well against the spread uh, when they were playing at home, uh, which obviously like the Miami Dolphins uh, would fall into. But, you know, again, I don't look at trends a lot, but this one sort of makes sense from a a mental perspective that you already lost. You don't want to drop to 0-2. You're predicted to lose this game at home. Most often teams are play week one on the road and week two at home. Like there's not often that teams get back to back home or back to back road. It does happen. We'll talk about that in a minute. But a lot of times you're on the road, you lose crap, man. Now we got to come home. But guess what? There's a lot of overreaction week one. The public is betting on the favorite. We lost last week. We look bad. We're at home. We can't drop to 0-2. This is one of eight home games. We've got to win it. And these dogs end up doing better. So – my, my question is this, is when I see that there is an 80% trend over the last few years, do I bet with the trend because clearly this is something, or do I expect that to regress and, and Vegas to like, to know this is the thing? How do I play against a trend that's 80%? Yeah. So Vegas isn't setting their lines based upon any trends like this. They're just not They're They're looking at power rankings for team A, team B, where's the game being played? Boom, here's my line. Now, sometimes they'll tweak that line a little bit in order to try to even up the even up the uh, money coming in, right. right? And other times they'll try to say, look, we're going to take a hardcore stand on this game. We don't care if the public's betting a lot on the other side. We want them to. We'll, we'll set the line a little bit higher because we really feel strongly about the opposite side. That happens sometimes where they'll take a position. In this case, you definitely want to be aware of something that hits at this rate, and you do not want to take the opposite side to buck the trend and just gotcha. say like, "Well, the time is coming, right? It's it's going to get there." Like, I don't, I would not do that just to be like, "Well, it'll eventually even itself out." Like, there seems to be logical reasons behind this one, so I would not fade the teams just because of this so trend. There are five teams this week, homies, that are coming off of a week one loss and are a home dog of six or less. As Warren just told you, in the last 25 times that this has happened, the team that is a home underdog coming off a week one loss is 20 and five against the spread. Here are the five teams. Denver hosting, hold on, uh, Denver hosting the Bears, two and a half point underdog. Atlanta hosting the Eagles on Sunday night, one and a half point dog. Giants hosting Buffalo, one and a half point dog. Washington hosting the Cowboys, five point dog. And the Jets hosting the Browns, two and a half point dogs. I'm going to say of the ones that I feel the most confident about, I would probably say Atlanta and the Giants. But I also know Washington's pretty good there. Denver, I think, makes complete sense, especially when you factor in, you know, the Denver line and the fact that I looked it up. Denver, where is that? Going back to 1975, straight up at home in weeks one and two are 48 and six. 
And then yeah. when you add to the fact since 2000, they're 22 and one at home in weeks one and two. And then you factor in that 80% thing. Warren, I just want to say, I have no interest in betting on Joe Flacco, especially after, especially since they're coming off a short week. But when I see that home dogs after week one loss, 20 and five, and then they're 22 and one since 2000. I mean, this is like the trend supernova, Warren, but it's still Joe Flacco looking at me, and I don't know what to do. Yeah, and actually, uh, it was like two or three years ago that I dug up the uh, 22 and one since 2000 trend and, and started talking about it. That elevation adjustment is big. Defenses and, and starters in the NFL don't play a lot in the preseason anymore. They have to go on the road and play at elevation in Denver. That is a tough ask. Uh, now, there are some things going in the favor of yeah. the they Chicago had, they Bears. They had extra rest. They played last Thursday. How, how, do, how does the NFL put the Chicago Bears, who have extra rest, against the Denver Broncos, who played the latest game, an extra late start in week one? Right. So they're starting super late against a team that's starting super early. They got to host the home game. They didn't even have to travel for that travel back home for that week one game. Uh, that's obnoxious scheduling from the NFL, as is all these one o'clock starts. The Mr. worst. Lucko. There are 10 games at one o'clock this week. NFL, can you put some more at four? How the hell are me and Warren going to watch all 10 games at one? It's insane. I've got. I've, I've got a 12-foot projector right over my shoulder here, and you've got the eight boxes on there, which when you break it down, the boxes are like a pretty good size. When I'm sitting back, I can follow all those games, but then I have to stick another game on this TV and another game on that TV, so I've got all these TVs going, <laughs> but what I like to do, what I prefer to do, Mr. Lefko, is I prefer to have the eight games up there and then the two games that I'm most interested in hearing sound from. I'll stick those on the two TVs that are on opposite sides of my big projector right. so that I can follow those games a little bit closer. And then the games that are on the eight box, I'm flipping around hearing audio when I want to on the various ones here. You know, I can't utilize that technique and it's very annoying. You know, the, the advantage though, needs to take advantage of this. There is yeah. an advantage week okay. three. People are not going to know what the hell happened in these games. They're only going to look at the box scores. And that's where you're going to be very valuable next week because I think people, when there's 10 games at one time slot, no one has any idea what the fuck happened in, in, in the, the offshoot games that are not going to get big-time coverage. I think it's actually going to help us next week. It just sucks as a viewer this week. It does, and I will tell people, I mean, I, I, I hope a lot of people are listening to this for entertainment, to learn something. Maybe they'll get a nugget that they'll then watch the games and be smarter than the announcers. Like, I want you guys to watch these games and be smarter than the guys that you hear announce them on TV. Yeah. Uh, but the one thing that is going to be a factor here, of course, is if you really want to study these and you really want to get better, you got to get Game Pass and go back and rewatch some games. You got to rewatch some games uh, to, to get smarter because even I do that, even with like the 10 games on and I can watch the action. I've gotten very good at like, I know there's in between a play on this yeah. game, so I'm going to shift my eyeballs over here or down there. Like, I'm good at doing that, but I'll still go back and rewatch some games that I want to. Um, it's very important if you're betting on these things. To you do have that. to. Yeah, I mean, because that's what happens. You go back and you watch Niners Bucks and you go, Damn, the Niners offense wasn't that great, but they also had a few touchdowns overturned uh, by some penalties. And you go, oh, man, Jameis Winston played like shit. But at the same point, like two or three of the interceptions were like bouncing off people's hands. Like it wasn't 
the only intercept, the only pick six we saw was like the one at the end, which was awful. And you go, oh, it wasn't actually that bad. Or wow, Ronald Jones is actually pretty good. Like that was impressive to watch. Uh, yeah. The other trend that you went and saw that I think is another eye-opening one: back-to-back road games to start the season. So these are teams that are starting off on the road, and there are in in one or two weeks. And let me give the teams first before you give the trend. Kansas City is playing two road games in a row, and they're going to be in Oakland this week. Indy goes from the Chargers, uh, and then this week they're going to go play at Tennessee. San Francisco has two East Coast, and I think they're staying on the East Coast, so I don't know if this one applies. They go Tampa Bay and then Cincinnati, and then Buffalo, they're playing two games at MetLife. Uh, Talk about Buffalo games getting a nice little schedule bump. Two of their road games are in the same state at the Jets, at the New York Giants. But what was the record against the spread since 2015 for road teams in their first two weeks in the second week? Yeah, when they're in back-to-back road games to start the season, the team is 1-14 and 14 against the spread. That's a 7% win rate. 1-14, uh, bro. Like, I know that you don't put a lot in a trends, but that had to open your eyes. Well, it definitely makes me think a little bit more, you know, um, a team like the Indianapolis Colts, right? They're playing Tennessee. Uh, We do have the benefit of the fact that Tennessee absolutely killed them. Uh, Sorry, Tennessee absolutely killed the Cleveland Browns last week. And so that that was a big, um, you know, uh, a positive thing that's going to get the public a little bit on the Tennessee Titans. Uh, But that's something I definitely considered when, you know, I was like, okay, well, I like the Colts. This one's working against me here, though. Um, But, yeah, like San Francisco, how will that play out? Because they stayed out on the East Coast. We'll we'll have to see. Buffalo, two games in MetLife. That's pretty crazy. Pretty. But so let me ask you, like, because this happens to me a lot where I go, oh, you know what? I know this trend and I'm going to want to be on Tennessee here. But then you see that the line is is not in your favor. Is that something that you go, you know what? I still like it. Or do you kind of go, shit, I got to go find a better number somewhere else? Well, the look ahead line on this game was Tennessee minus two and a half. Um, and the look ahead lines, we're going to go over some of these. Like yep, line we're going to go over second. the look ahead lines right now. But okay, why don't so- you start us off talking about that? Yeah, so um, the look, the concept of the look-ahead lines, I'll let you introduce that. But Tennessee was minus two and a half. It's up to minus three. It's not that big of a move, um, you know. And and so I was hoping we might get three and a half, and then you could take the Colts a little bit. So I, I see no reason to go right now on the Indianapolis Colts. It's like three minus twenty. What that means is like you have to pay one hundred twenty dollars to win a hundred. And that if a little bit of more money comes in on the Tennessee Titans, this thing could go to three and a half. So I would advise holding off if you want to look to back the Colts. Uh, but this one definitely is going against you, this trend. Jacoby Brissett in that season when he started uh, 0-2 against the Tennessee Titans uh, through 212, one touchdown, no interceptions in a 14-point loss, 196, no touchdowns, no interceptions in a four-point loss. Uh, just a reminder, Andrew Luck never lost in his entire Entire career to the Tennessee Titans. I believe he was 10 or 11 and 0. Uh, and then the one season in which he wasn't there, Tennessee beat the Colts twice. They are thrilled that Andrew Luck is no longer on the Indianapolis Colts. Yeah, that was one where Pat McAfee came out in Tennessee where the draft was and started talking trash when he was announcing the Colts draft pick about how uh, the Tennessee Titans cannot beat the Indianapolis Colts. And he got some some booze, but that was a hilarious moment. It was awesome. All right. So the look ahead lines come out today, correct? So 
What Vegas does is they put out the look-ahead lines for next Sunday on the Thursday before. So what Warren did was he saved all the look-ahead lines from last week because what you want to see is where are the games where there is massive movement because the public saw something with their eyes and maybe it moved too much and we could take advantage of it. Did I explain that correctly, Warren? Exactly. Sometimes it's the bookmaker themselves that are going to put out a line a little bit different. So that's one thing to take in consideration as well. And we'll talk about it when we go through some of these games. So I, I've kind of broken the big time line movements into different areas, uh, some because of injury, some because of the perfect storm. So let's do injury first. Um, the Houston Texans last Thursday were favored by three over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Nick Foles breaks his clavicle. In comes Gardner Minshew. And the line goes from Houston by three to Houston by nine against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Do we believe that Nick Foles was a six point uh, difference maker for the team? How do you approach a line where there's an injury that caused it to move, Warren? Yeah, and in this case, it's a major, you know, colossal injury where you've got a starting quarterback being out, and that starting quarterback, Nick Foles, how a lot of experience working with John D. Filippo, his OC from Philly when they won the Super Bowl. So Nick Foles is gone. Gardner Minshew is in. Gardner Minshew is a rookie quarterback, right? He had to play week one after Foles gets injured. Did a great job, in my opinion. To Me too. 22, 22 or 25. Really great performance when he came in. Uh, but now, you know, Houston gets to prepare against a rookie quarterback making his first start ever in the NFL, and they're playing at home. Um, but I was never a massive Nick Foles guy. He was clutch. You know, right. he has a nickname for a reason. The dude was clutch uh, in those situations. But I don't feel like he is necessarily worth that amount on this spread to make that adjustment. That's honestly how I feel. And then I looked back at Deshaun Watson and how has he done against Jacksonville? This is a team that... Like last year, they beat Jacksonville twice, but mainly because they held the Jaguars to 10 points combined. They themselves averaged about 20 points a game. But I look at Deshaun Watson. He's never thrown over 234 yards against Jacksonville. He uh, His quarterback rating has never gotten higher than the 80s. And I, I looked at this and was like, I still think that it was it was a lot of Jacksonville last week. Miles Jack gets kicked out in the middle of the game. They lose their quarterback. They're still and they're playing Patrick frickin' Mahomes and Andy Reid. And I look at Bill O'Brien in all of his fumbling glory, and I go, I don't really believe that the Houston Texans should be favored by nine over really anybody in the NFL right now. And I looked at that one and I circled it to be honest because I like you do not believe that Nick Foles is a six point swing for any team in the NFL, especially because I think Gardner Minshew is low-key the kind of guy, like, he's going to put up points against the Houston Texans. I don't think I'm crazy. Do you think I'm crazy? No, it's 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 one, two, three with Deshaun Watson against the Jacksonville Jaguars, okay? One interception, two touchdowns in three games. That's what Deshaun Watson has done against this defense. One interception, two touchdowns in three games. So I think that there is an edge on the Jacksonville Jaguars here. It is hilarious though, we should mention this. Do you remember last year, this is why I hardcore faded the uh, Houston Texans in the wild card game, even though they were hosting 
the Indianapolis Colts. I was so honored because the quarterbacks that the Houston Texans defense faced last year, the worst in the NFL, backups upon backups upon backups. We talked about it on last week's show. And guess what they've got to go up against here? Another backup, a rookie quarterback. It is crazy. First ever start. It's how, how lucky can a defense get? I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, they're, they are the uh, – their luck towards facing quarterbacks is the opposite of the Chargers' luck with injuries. <laughs> yes. Um, all right, so Fair. then I, I have two of the line movements that I labeled perfect storm, where one team uh, showed out completely and the other team maybe was not as impressive and it caused a big-time live movement. And they're the two biggest lines of the week. Baltimore went from favored by 9.5 over Arizona to 13, and New England went from favored to by 11 over Miami to 18.5. And, and that was the most perfect of perfect storms. The destroy the Steelers. Miami gets destroyed by the Ravens when there is a perfect storm line move like this. How do you read those two? Well, that's, and, and that's the thing, which you got to do, look at three things. Okay. And we're trying to teach the 33%. Look yes. at three things. Number one, what is the look ahead number? Number two, when the book reposts the game, what are they opening at? And number three, where's that line by Friday, Saturday. Okay. So we can look at it for Baltimore. In this case, they the lookhead was nine and a half. The books reopened that game. Uh, let me look here. Baltimore, Arizona. They, they reopened that game at 13 and a half. One book opened it at 12. Yep. And now it's up to round 13. So not too much movement. The public didn't have a lot to say. It's pretty much what the book opened. But mm. the Patriots is a little bit of a different story. Lookahead was 11. The books reopened that at like 13 and a half, 14 points. And it's been bet up a lot by the public up to as high as like 19. I've seen 18 and a half is where it's sitting right now. But there are some 19s out there on the board. So that's a little bit of a different uh, situation because the public has really weighed in, too. So the bookmakers made an adjustment and then the public got their say as well. Oh, man, that that Miami line is unbelievable. I'm, I'm telling you right now, I have it circled on my sheet. I think I'm going to make Miami plus 18 and a half one of my super contest bets. I don't think it's crazy. It's ridiculous to have a line that big. A lot of different things can happen in football games. I think the Patriots are one and six in their last seven games in Miami. I think Tom Brady is, is he seven and nine in his career in Miami or nine and seven? Uh, Either one would be reasonable. I would guess nine and seven, but I know I'm a psychopath. I know I'm a psychopath for going Miami here, but that line getting 18 and a half. If I'm if the Dolphins are down 24 to nothing and they get a late touchdown, I fucking cover. That's crazy. It is crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Do you think there's going to be a lot of people in the super contest taking Miami? No, I, I, I doubt it. I doubt it. I think it's going to be, uh, like average. I'm I would say it's around idiot. average. All right. So then the other three line movements were movements of two and a half or three, but a lot of them either went from a pick 'em or it crossed the number. It crossed the it crossed from who was going to win, which when you see a look ahead line, for example, Buffalo, uh, the Giants started off as one and a half point favorites hosting Buffalo, but then it ends up now where Buffalo's favored by a point and a half. So it crossed the one, it crossed zero, and it crossed the other one. What does that do to the Warren Sharp antenna? How, what does the thirty-three percent need to know? Okay, the first thing that you need to know 
when line does that is that all of a sudden I've got a teaser like possibility. Okay. Teasers are at their best when you can move that number through the three and through the seven. And now I can take the home dog of the New York Giants, even on a six point teaser, which are the cheapest. You take two teams, you get six points yep. on the spread. You have to win both, but you go, you get six points in your favor and you can now take the Giants up to seven and a half points plus seven and a half from catching one and a half to seven and a half. Mm. That's that's a decent teaser leg um, at home. So that's the first thing that I think. The second thing that you should think, though, is that when lines move or like the books reopen, you have to pay attention to is it moving through a key number? Now, moving from minus one and a half to plus one and a half is not really anything that significant. Okay. You know, moving across that zero, a team being slightly favored now, not that significant, which is why I said the main thing I'm looking to here is now I've got a teaser leg option, which I didn't have before. I mean, I could have teased the bills if I wanted to, but that wasn't an option. The line wasn't open to do that. But so now you see, you see the, the same thing then San Francisco, the look ahead line was they were favored by two and a half at Cincinnati. And then Cincinnati played well. San Francisco had two of their touchdowns on pick sixes and people think that'll regress. So now the Bengals are favored by two. Now you go, Hey, if I tease the giants up to plus seven and a half, I might be able to get the Niners at plus nine or plus eight uh, against Cincinnati. Is that another teaser possibility? there it definitely is but this one's a little bit more interesting right because the bills won we saw the bills beat the jets and we saw the giants look pretty bad so that makes a little bit of sense here the Bengals lost the 49ers won somewhat convincingly yet the Bengals have shifted and i think what you need to take away from that is that this is some sharp money on the Cincinnati Bengals. This is not mm. just like the other ones a result of, you know, new opinions about these teams, potentially the public reacting a little bit. This Cincinnati San Francisco one, you know, that is a little bit more so because we're getting some some sharper money on the Cincinnati Bengals. Okay. Um, the uh, man, did any of those stick out to you, though, that, that you're like, oh, that's really interesting, any of the big line movers? I mean, Denver went from a pick to a two-and-a-half-point underdog, but did any of the, the line movements uh, spark your interest for the 33%? Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, like the Ravens suddenly become a little bit more um, le less desirable, um, and, yeah. and I'm looking a little bit more at the Cardinals, but I don't know if I'm going to fire on that one. Right. Uh, Cincinnati one stands out to me. The teaser on the Giants stands out to me, and the Jacksonville Jaguars stands out to me. So then when you see uh, sharp money, do you go, I want to go with the sharp money, or what do you think? Well, so fortunately, because of the people that I associate with and the things that I'm doing myself, I've got good access to great information, and some of it is – uh, because I'm an originator, right? Like the, you we are. just talked about the, the Baltimore Ravens, Arizona Cardinals over originator means that I'm the one coming up with the games. I'm the one supplying them to the betting syndicates that are betting a ton of money. I'm also supplying them to my subscribers. And when I'm releasing a game, move i'm originating that line move there's other games that i have access to the information so i know why a line is moving because i know it's a certain group that was betting it um and so some groups i have more respect for so i'm like oh they're on that okay you know i i think one way other groups you know they just 
have a ton of money, you know, and so they like to bet a lot. They want to have a 2% edge. They know, we know they're not going to win more, more than like 56% of the time. So there's a 44% of the chance that they're going to lose this game. Um, it's something to be aware of and realize that, Hey, these guys bet this way. If I don't like it or don't agree with it, guess what? Now I'm, I'm happy. You know why? Because I'm going to get a much better number because those guys are moving the market a certain direction. I can wait, come back on the opposing team with a better line than I would have gotten otherwise. All right. So uh, let's get into the three biggest games on Sunday from like a national TV perspective. I know you dove into a little bit. I dove into it. And then I'm going to make my super contest picks. I already feel like we've taught people a lot. Like I, like I already feel I like today, so. a lot, and and I, and I want to say this to the thirty three percent. This is the cool thing about having a podcast and not having to be like obsessed with with the schedule and the rundown. Is when Warren and I talk, I can't even express to you guys how many times we both go to each other. Do we think that this is going to help our listeners? Like we are, we're not talking just because we like to hear ourselves think, or because we are like Warren really genuinely will say, Lefko, do you think this will help the 33%? Because that's that's we believe that if we come into making our content with fully trying to help you guys, that so many people are trying to look smart for their audience or they're trying to look cool for their audience. And we really want to create content that helps you guys. And I just want you guys to know that because um, we fucking care. You know what I mean? Like you guys can listen to any show you want, but like we're really trying to make it something that helps you guys. And I know Warren and I, Warren, I appreciate you having that mindset because you know how much I care about the 33%. Hell yeah. I mean, my goal is to get people educated about the game so that when they watch it on Sunday, they'll be able to tell their buddies, hey, guess what this is or guess what we or in this game and then they'll see it and they'll be like holy crap like that is really cool i learned something on the left co show and yes. the other thing is we want to make a little bit of money and so we want to be able to figure out some of these things to get ahead of the curve you'll hopefully hear things on this show that you're not going to hear anywhere else and that's because these are advantages and edges that you're going to be able to take with you move move forward all right so uh one o'clock game seahawks Outlast the Bengals. They go to 1-0. and They are playing in Pittsburgh against the Steelers. Uh, Steelers getting destroyed on Sunday Night Football 33-3. Steelers are a four-point favorite. Going to be honest, was a little bit disappointed. I was hoping Pittsburgh was going to be like a one-point favorite. I thought that the public was going to, you know, kind of do their magic. It's not. Uh, injuries, TJ Watt and Joe Hayden banged up for Pittsburgh. It's a little bit early in the week to know if they're going to play. Roosevelt Knicks, their only football fullback on the roster is out. Uh, and, I, and I think he was out for Sunday too, which really hurt uh, the running back, James Conner. Seahawks, bunch of injuries banged up. We'll have to see how their defensive line and linebackers play out. Tyler Lockett has a back injury. He is a DNP on Wednesday, did not practice. We'll wait and see. Uh, these two teams played in 2015. Russell Wilson, 345 yards, five touchdowns, no interceptions against the Steelers. The game was in Seattle. Big Ben in that game, 456 passing yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. But Russell Wilson was unbelievable in that game. Steelers at one o'clock home games in September. They've honestly done really well. Uh, beat Vikings by 17, beat the Bengals, beat the Niners by about 25 or 30 points, uh, beat the Browns. They did lose to the Chiefs, but they did hang up 37 on the Chiefs last year. Um, the last five years, the Seahawks, 8-8 eight and eight in September. 
They really kind of start off slow, and they really have bigger months in October and November. Um, this was an interesting t- statistic for me. Uh, I told you the Seahawks are now 15 at 15 and 0 at home in September. In their last nine road games in September, they are one and eight. That one game was against Arizona, and they barely beat them last year, and we know how bad the Cardinals were. So that's just a little bit of nuggets there, but I did ask you to kind of go in, and what, what, what interests you about Pittsburgh-Seattle in this game? Yeah, the most interesting thing to me is what is the strategy that the Steelers are going to take? We saw that they did not have that number two wide receiver. It was juju or force things elsewhere. I thought they should have thrown to the tight end a little bit more often. They waited until the final drive of the game to get him a couple of targets. Um, Ben Roethlisberger did not look good. However, this is a quarterback who has massive home road splits. Ben Roethlisberger at home, substantially more effective as a quarterback than he is on the road. We also know what we said earlier in the week one podcast, that the New England Patriots defense is underrated. They're really good this year. Really? Really good. What did Cincinnati do in that last game? Cincinnati, because they struggled to run the football, they went 80% pass. They ran the ball and, or they average, I think, uh, 2.4 yards per carry. Wow. They only ran it 14 times. Andy Dalton had 51 pass attempts. They went completely pass heavy, and Andy Dalton averaged 7.7 yards per pass attempt. um, I think it was the highest career passing yards he's ever had in a game. So he, yeah, he had three almost 400 passing yards. I think in that game. So um, this is a team. Actually, 411, maybe. Uh, This is a team that definitely needed to rely on the pass in Seattle, and the Steelers. You mentioned their fullback's not there. I think they need to get more balanced. I think they went a little bit too pass-heavy in that game, but it'll be interesting to see how Seattle's defensive front is able to slow down the Pittsburgh game. The strength of the Steelers right now, they need to make an adjustment. The strength is that offensive line and protecting James Conner, letting him get the ball and, and move through space. The weakness of this team is the receivers. And so you can't have Ben dropping back to pass predictably too often. But we know this is a team, the number one most pass-heavy team in the NFL the last several years Mm. in terms of neutral zone, neutral uh, passing script. On the other side of the ball, the Seattle Seahawks, what do we know they want to do? They want to run the football. However, the Pittsburgh Steelers were really good stopping the New England Patriots running attack. And they held them to 3.4 yards per carry. So, uh, and the Seattle Seahawks couldn't run the ball very much against the Cincinnati Bengals either. They they only averaged uh, two point what is it two point nine yards per carry in that game against the Cincinnati Bengals. So, and that was at home. Um, so the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think, have a better run defense than the Cincinnati Bengals do. It's going to force Russell Wilson to drop back a lot. He was tagged a number of times, disrupted. Uh, that was a much closer game than I think a lot of people thought. I think it's going to be fascinating. This game, I'm in, I'm intrigued to see the battle of the rushing attacks and which one can actually do something and mm-hmm. that which one is going to force the quarterbacks to make a lot of dropbacks against the pass rush that wants to hit them and take them down. Uh, the 4 o'clock game that's going to be huge is the rematch of the NFC Championship uh, in which the pass interference was not called and we caused the entire NFL to go uh, up in arms. Saints taking on the Rams. Uh, it is going to be in L.A. and the Rams are two 
two and a half point favorites. Uh, Rams are eight and one in their last nine home games. Uh, Goff has played well in three games against the Saints. 320 yards, uh, eight to three touchdown to interception ratio. Uh, he's one and oh versus the Saints in LA. He's a much better quarterback at home than he is on the road. Drew Brees, by the way, when he played the Rams at home, Average 328 yards, eight to nothing TD to interception ratio. But in the one game in LA, 246 yards, one touchdown, and it came in in garbage time when they were down by 15. Um, The one thing that we both kind of saw was this could be an enormous daily fantasy play. Uh, there, you kind of almost have to play Kamara here. Christian McCaffrey tore up the Rams uh, last week, and now you have Kamara up against the Rams. At the same point, look at what Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson did to the Saints, and you're kind of looking there and going, man, this could be a nice little running back play if you're using the Rams as well. Uh, this game, how do you see it kind of playing out? What caught your eye? Yeah, one of the interesting things, like a subplot to this game, in my opinion, um, when I was handicapping that NFC Championship game and looking at that game as it unfolded, was I was thinking that what the Rams need to do is go fast against the Saints in that game. And guess what happened? The dome in New Orleans was so loud that there was a massive impact on the ability for Sean McVay to communicate into Jared Goff's headset, for him to make audibles at the line like he normally do, you know, they get up to the line and try to make audibles. The guys couldn't hear. If you remember, there was false start early. There was timeouts early. It was a big problem. They're not going to have that problem at all here, right? Home game against the New Orleans Saints. The issue is there's not very much of a home field advantage for the Rams, but at least they're not playing in that dome where they can't communicate. The other interesting thing about this game Think to the line, right? Think to the line. The Rams in that game did not have Cooper Cup. The Rams did not have a healthy Todd Gurley. Now, we don't know how much we're going to get out of Todd Gurley, but he was able to run fairly well against the Carolina Panthers last week. And Cooper Cup being there definitely helps. Jared Goff definitely has home road splits. I mean, he was atrocious in that game. He averaged 4.7 4.7 yards per pass attempt, third worst of any quarterback on the week. Uh, they gained 5.2 yards per run against the Carolina Panthers. But I think you're absolutely right. One of the biggest elements here is how efficient these run games are going to be because that was one of the biggest reasons I didn't like the Rams in week one is I thought Christian McCaffrey would have success running. They don't have Ndamukong Sue. They got a couple different linebackers in there due to injuries, due to the Rams defense. And Christian McCaffrey had a good day running. Alvin Kamara is going to have a good day. And then I don't have a lot of respect for that Houston Texans offensive line and the rushing ability at all. But they were able to gain, I think, uh, 7.8 yards per rushing attempt. With Carlos freaking Hyde, Warren. With with Carlos Hyde. Now, some of that was a couple of Deshaun Watson scrambles, but 7.8 is absurd. And, you know, that's what Alvin Kamara is going to have to work with. And I think Sean Payton is going to be very poised. You mean the Rams? You mean the Rams are going to be able to do that? The, sorry, the Rams are going to have success running, and then the Saints are going to have success running against the Rams. And I think when you get two passing offenses that are well-coached with decent enough quarterbacks, 
and you get a run game going, that opens so many things. The play action's going to be there, everything else. Uh, I, I think Goff might have struggled a little bit. That offense did not look punchy enough to me. The Rams offense does not have that punch that it had last year. And I don't know if it's because their run game just isn't like pile driving people back off the ball if they're not opening up big enough holes. I mean, Gurley was fine. They did well on the ground, well enough to win that game. But it just didn't seem to have the punch. I'm wondering if they get that punch back. Because remember, the last three games that we have seen these Rams, we saw them on the road in New Orleans. We saw them against the Saints defense, hostile environment, crowd noise. We saw them in uh, the Super Bowl in a totally different environment. And then we saw them on the road in Carolina. We haven't seen this team play in their home environment. And all those games that we saw, very well regarded, well-watched games, like games of the week, obviously the Super Bowl, the NFC Championship. Everybody saw them not look good. I'm interested to see what this offense looks like at home. The Sunday night game means a lot to me personally. We're almost ready to make my Super Contest picks, and we're going to call up Crack and enter them in. Uh, Again, I have the right to change them. Philadelphia-Atlanta means a lot to me. I'm going to be honest. Everything about me thinks that this is really scary for Philadelphia. Matt Ryan and the Falcons, 7-1 against the spread as a home dog over their last eight games. Um... Falcons are one-and-a-half-point dogs at home against the Eagles. I believe, and me and Brian Westbrook were talking about this yesterday, I am legitimately concerned about the Eagles' defense. The Eagles were not able to get a pass rush against the Washington Redskins offensive line that was playing Donald Penn instead of Trent Williams. If um, Case Keenum is able to hit Terry McLaurin in stride. Eagles could have lost that game to Washington. I believe that the Eagles secondary is all over the place. It was an issue that was last year and they began to fix itself because they got a pass rush with Michael Bennett and Chris Long who are not there. They do not have Malik Jackson and a lot of that pass rush was going to be relied on with Malik Jackson and Fletcher Cox. This is an Atlanta team that they put themselves in a hole last week. Punt punt block early in the game, which set up Minnesota. Minnesota was up 14-0 like that. They abandoned the run. Uh, Atlanta did. So I look at this Eagles. I think they have an issue uh, right now with the pass rush. I think they have an issue right now with the secondary. I see an Atlanta team that I think got punched in the mouth right away and had to abandon their game plan. Blocked punt by Minnesota. Goes up 7-0. Then they go up 14-0 right away with like Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook. They are huge issues right now with Atlanta's offensive line. Uh, They lose one of their starting guards. They have to move one of their rookies to right tackle. But I don't know if there's going to be enough threat there from the Eagles' pass rush. And I see if Atlanta's able to get a little bit of run going and then use those wide receivers and pick apart the Eagles' pass defense, I'm very concerned about the Eagles. What did you see when you looked into this game, man? I was surprised as well. I was shocked that the Eagles defense like picked right up where it left off with struggling to cover guys, to maintain integrity. Like I was just surprised. And I was also shocked that they couldn't get pressure. So all of your fears as an Eagles fan, uh, I saw the same exact things. And it is concerning because they had all offseason to try to fix these issues. I definitely... Um, One thing to consider with their offense that started off very slow is once again, we are a situation. We didn't talk about this yet on the pod. Good time to do it now. Teams that rested guys in the preseason 
tend to start off a little bit slower. And right. we saw that in Philadelphia. D uh, Doug Peterson was not calling plays for a starting offense all preseason. He wasn't in this ultra-aggressive mindset of, of to start that game. And, and better calling plays as the game went on. We saw that. Also, yes. Carson Wentz didn't play at all in the preseason. He got better as the game went on. Um, I think they've got a lot of room to improve, but I think it's good that they got that week one game out of the way and now got the focus on week two. One of the things that the people need to know, uh, the 33% needs to know, is that I value early down performance very highly. It is mm. an extreme indicator of success. And one of the things that I noted that didn't carry out into the final score of that game against the Minnesota Vikings when Atlanta played them, because Atlanta had three turnovers, you know, and, and, and Minnesota got up to such an early start, is that Atlanta had 27 first downs, second most of any team in the league, only went to third down eight times. Wow. When you're recording 27 freaking first downs and only going to third down eight times, that shows that you're being really efficient on those early downs. Now, they didn't have a lot of success running the football, right? Devonta Freeman did not have high yardage totals. He only averaged 4.3 yards per rushing attempt. But I'm really interested to see how efficient this Falcons offense can look at home. But I do have concerns because their offensive line had some injuries and may not be that good. And Philly may get a chance to look a lot better. But... It's hard when you don't perform at home week one as a pass rush against that Redskins offensive line. How are you going to do on the road against a better coached uh, team with better skill players out there in Atlanta? That is a definite concern. Um, I think that Doug Peterson is quite familiar with going up against Dan Quinn's defense. Yep, very He's much had so. success against those guys. Um, and, but I think also if you look at uh, the track record in the history, I think that Jim Schwartz has had some success against Matt Ryan. They always end up hitting Matt Ryan a ton. He yep. gets beat, beat up, bloodied a lot in those games. Um, you know, I, I've in seen the two the games move. in the two games versus Philly, in, the, in which they've played the last two seasons, Matt Ryan's completion percentage is around fifty, only two hundred and sixty yards a game, one touchdown, two picks, and the team is averaging thirteen and a half points. So the Eagles' defense, now granted, both games were in Philly, and we know that Matt Ryan has insane dome versus outside splits. So I, I'm I'm kind of stuck in the middle of between those two statistics. Yeah, actually, the last three times that these teams have played, every single one of those has been in Philly. And yeah. actually, the last two have been with Nick Foles at quarterback. Uh, it was the divisional game in 2017, and then it was week one in 2018. Um, so, you know, Carson Wentz being there could be a little bit different. I know that this game took some sharp over money. Um, it opened at 51. It's now up to like 52 and a half. Um you know, I, I think this game is interesting. I'm not sure where I necessarily lean on that total, um, but I personally would not be rushing to lay the Eagles here. If anything, to me, it's Falcons or pass from a betting perspective, but it's it's not a game that I have a strong conviction about either way. No, it's because if if the, the if Matt Ryan is under attack for four quarters and they're not able to get anything going and the Eagles figure it out, that wouldn't surprise me. If Matt Ryan throws for 450 yards and we're sitting here next week going, Philadelphia's defense has a real issue and we need to figure this out, that wouldn't shock me as well. And those are typically the games that I stay away from, where both sides makes too much sense. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, the Redskins could not run the ball on the Eagles last game. And, you know, if the Falcons become too one-dimensional yeah. trying to throw the ball and then they get the pass rush going, the Eagles do, 
like there's a lot of things that could end up happening here. Uh, and what is Dirk Cutter going to do differently in the red zone? We know in that week one game last season, Atlanta had a lot of trips to the red zone early. Julio dropped some balls. We had runs from jumbo personnel groupings by Steve Sarkeesian. A terrible OC is now gone. So yep. it'll be interesting to see what Dirk Cutter does differently down in the red zone in this game. Um, I think it's going to be a fun game to watch, though. All right. I'm I'm almost ready to call crack, not just yet. I just want to run through really quick with you, Warren. I did not make my picks before we did this show. I wanted to listen to you and then sort of go off of that, okay? okay. Here are the five that I'm leaning towards right now. I have to go Browns minus two and a half for the Super Contest. Sam Darnold's out. I'm getting a, a, ju- a juiced-up line. I have to take it. I am going to take... The Dolphins plus 18 and a half. I'm a psychopath and I want the points. Um, through the trends that you gave me in terms of the off of a uh, back-to-back row games to start a season one and 14, I believe that I'm going to take Tennessee minus three against Indy since they have to go across the country. What do you... I, I like I like your first two a okay. little bit better than that okay. Tennessee one. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, I think from line movements, I like Jacksonville plus nine. I like getting nine points against Houston. So I'm going to start those three. Uh, Tennessee was in my maybe category. The other game uh, that I had circled was Vikings plus three. I'm getting three points. I can see the Vikings winning that game, and I like the personnel matchup. If I'm not really feeling Tennessee, uh, the other games that I had circled was – was Cincinnati minus two because of the back-to-back road games thing as well. But to be honest – I'm stuck because I like the Giants as that home dog uh, transition one and Buffalo. It's like the perfect matchup where Buffalo's in the back-to-back road games and I'm getting the Giants off of a week one loss. And while I think the Giants defense uh, did not look good, I also don't think that the Buffalo Bills offense is trying to do what Dallas did last week. I think that they are still very much in the run on first down, second down. And also I thought the Giants offense actually had some success they just allowed five straight touchdowns so uh, do you like it more the Giants plus one and a half instead of Tennessee minus three I'm just looking as a friend right now Warren I'm looking as a friend I will tell you this is the most difficult week okay um, good of, of the season to me like we only have two weeks but I felt really convicted about a number of games week one in terms of sides this week those options are a little bit less so. So I thought last week was a really good week for contests. This week where you have to force five side plays, it's going to be difficult. That's why you do want to, of course, get Cleveland on your card uh, because that's one yeah. that's like an obvious slam dunk. You don't have to think about it too much. And so then you can weed out like some of the other ones. Um, All right, you know tough. what? Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to call crack. Let's call crack. I'm going to give him my four definites, and then I'm going to ask him for advice on that fifth. Do it. We'll let, we'll let crack figure this out. All right. Hold cracker barrel. Yeah, because the, the other ones I had written down, like Oakland plus seven with Kansas City on back-to-back road games, but do I really want to be betting against Kansas City? Uh, and then the Rams minus two and a half. I think the Rams might be the one that I picked there. Just because the Saints' first two weeks of the year, they're always a fucking mess, and it's Drew Brees outside. Morning. Oh, cracky baby! 
Hey, what's going on, buddy? How are you, pal? I'm okay. Just got off. Uh, just got off air doing a little show, and now I'm uh, on with the big guys. Love hey. it. All right, so yeah, crack. Buddy. I have four games that I'm definitely going with, and then I really need your expertise yep. for the fifth. To be honest. Sure. Okay, let's start off. Uh, first one, I have to take Browns favored by two and a half with Westgate because of Sam Darnold being out. I have to. It's sure. just it makes yeah, too much I, sense. And, and, and contrarian to that, if at a later time, this is a little secret for uh, this contest. At a later time, if let's say we're behind and all of a sudden you have to catch up, knowing everyone's taking that four point move and betting and using Cleveland. Um, You'd have to actually take the Jets plus the two and a half uh, because you want to gain two games on your opponent. So that's something to note down the line. We're a little early, though. I agree, of course, with Cleveland. Perfect. Uh, I might be a psychopath here, crack, but I'm taking Dolphins plus yeah. 18 and a half. That's okay. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, um, the line opened up 15. Now you're getting the, the pinnacle of the line. It's capped out around 18 and a half. A couple 19s. In Vegas here at the Square of Shops. But, um, yeah, not, nothing wrong with that. Listen, there's a lot of people betting New England this week. I'll tell you exactly. that much. Miami looked so bad last week. And normally that's not an angle you want to go by. You know, people automatically draw conclusions and overreact to week one results. Um, that's not the case here. These are professional teams. This is the NFL any given Sunday. Uh, however, um, exactly to my point, Miami, I'm, uh, I'm probably with you there on a the card. Nice. Sure. Okay, I'm feeling good. Okay, uh, Jacksonville plus nine at Houston. A total agreement on that one. Yeah. I'm actually going to be using that on my own card. Um, I didn't fill out mine yet, but I'll be used. That, that is one of my selections this weekend. Um, I haven't talked to Warren about this, but I just think yes, that, sir, that, you is know, that again, uh, last week they're looking at Looking at the games last week, and uh, you know, people think that maybe Jacksonville. Oh, I got blown away by by um, by KC. I'm in total agreement with that one. All right, and the other one. Crack. Guess what? Crack. Nick Foles is not worth yep. worth six points on the spread. So, gotcha. Uh, my fourth one that I feel confident about is going to be Minnesota plus three against Green Bay. Okay, Minnesota plus three. The you know I, I go by a lot of early line moves, early early odds. The the plus three is dog money. So you're you're, you're of course in the pool. We're just laying no, no spread, no um, no no mathematical money on no money line. So the plus three there, Minnesota. I have I haven't chosen that game either way. I have no problem with that. And you haven't had a your fourth game is not. I, I mean Warren, I'm sure came up with a with a with a fifth game. I mean for you. Um, uh, any 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 look I'll, at your I I'll run, to go this route. Let me run by the, the teams that I was game. I just wondered if Let me sure, let man. me let me run by the teams I was thinking about for my five. I'm thinking about the Giants plus one and a half because of the look-ahead line and how it switched and the fact that they're 0-1 at home. Uh, I'm looking at uh, Tennessee, maybe minus three against Indy. Indy back-to-back row games to start the season. Uh, There's part of me that likes Cincinnati, minus two against San Francisco. San Francisco back-to-back row games to start the season uh, and staying on the East Coast. And I also like the Rams, uh, minus two and a half. Uh, with Drew Brees on the road, outdoors, Rams at home with a Saints defense that 
didn't really look early. Those are those are kind of the four that I'm I'm kind of looking about. I know I should be saying Denver because Denver has historic, incredible home uh, success, and they're facing a Chicago team that I still don't have that much confidence in their offense. But I don't like betting on Joe Flacco. Any of those stick out to you? I would pass on that even thought of the Denver game because the line's two and a half. I'm sure in the contest. And there's actually some threes popping up on my yeah. live line screen now. So, and I, I go by the the live lines. I, I mean, I go by the current lines and and the shade of the sharper sports books. Uh, out of that, out of those picks, I would lean towards Tennessee. The line is three, and it's uh, three three minus twenty, three minus fifteen. Uh, the Shaman sharper books uh, definitely. Uh, that's what I would look at Tennessee at uh, home in that in that spot. Uh, I also have no problem with Cincinnati. I don't have the lines in front of me. What is the San Fran Cincinnati line on the on the uh, West Westgate? It's Cincinnati minus two, and the look ahead line was okay. uh, Niners minus two and a half, I believe. It's still it's still okay. minus yeah, two so, right so, now on the live. As we're talking right now, it's Cincinnati minus two across the board. A couple one and a half, okay. but mostly two. Uh, I would have I would have no problem with with either one of those games. I'm probably going to use Tennessee on a on a card of mine, too. Um, it just, you know, uh, it's a tough fifth game here. It's tough to pick five games in the NFL That's against the spread crazy. every week. Um, yeah, so uh, I, I have no problem with that. I'm sure you'll text me your final card. Well, I'm going to say uh, it right now because I want the 33% to hear it. I'm going to stick with my original yeah. because crack kind of came on my side there. It's going to be Browns minus 2.5 on Monday night. Dolphins plus 18 and a half, Vikings plus three, Jacksonville plus nine, and I'm going to tentatively enter right now Tennessee minus three with Indy having to travel and kind of uh, the a little excitement there. I'm going to go with those five uh, for right now. And I feel pretty good about it, Crack. Excellent. Excellent. Westgate contest uh, started out good. Winning record should have even been better, but hey. <sighs> Um, you know, this is going to happen. You're going to get bad beats in the NFL. NFL, I, not for I long. I want to say thank you, so, Crack, for yeah. all of your text messages reminding me about how much bullshit it was that Detroit blew a 15-point lead in the fourth quarter. I appreciate uh, was, you, Crack. It, it upset me so much. It just, it just upset me. I mean, I feel like Crack was, gets uh, more upset when I lose my Super Contest picks than when he actually loses money, which I appreciate. Yeah, I was. I was very <laughs> upset for you that game. I, Crack, I, was, I was pissed. Crack but, needs um, to go. Great to, crack needs to go talk to Matt Patricia. It's, it's Matt Patricia is who you need to really be blaming for yeah, that yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll All show right. up with my Kangle hat and uh, intimidate him. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, uh, great uh, stuff, guys. Crack, I appreciate you, my man. Thanks, have a great crack. week. All right. Have a great week, guys. Thank you. All right, buddy. Take care, buddy. Uh, uh, so, again, you could check out Crack uh, and uh, Bill Krakenberger and a lot of his advice on the Crack Wins app. Uh, I know he gives out a free p- pick a week. It's also just a good place to use. And, of course, uh, Warren Sharp Football Analysis if you're really looking to make some money. And then, of course, if you go to, what is it, Sharp Football Analytics or Sharp Football Stats? Sharp Football Stats is like a completely free, completely open stats website with visualized data. And that's where we're getting all these personnel groupings from. So if you're kind of a a nerdy guy like myself, you want to go in and research some stuff, I highly suggest that website. You're going to find some things nobody else is posting. Uh, I'm just going to end really quick by talking. uh, I think I'm going to get into Daily Fantasy. 
Uh, I, I started playing, and I was using DraftKings, and I'm actually up like $30, $40 after the first two weeks because I think now I'm a genius. But the thing that I appreciate about it is the sweat. What I like about it is when you're watching the games and and – I'm pulling for DeAndre Hopkins to cross the line, and and that that sweat is is pretty awesome. So uh, I do have a DraftKings lineup that I put in, and this is kind of what I'm thinking for this weekend. I'm definitely hitting Kamara uh, against the Rams after what we saw uh, with Christian McCaffrey. Uh, I am going to be hitting um, Christian Kirk uh, and the Cardinals against the Ravens after what we talked about with the four wide receivers. I'm going to do an unlikely stack here, Warren. I'm going to do Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett. And I I just, I know that Pittsburgh, uh, they're going to be better than they were against um, uh, New England, but I really like that stack and what Lockett could do in the slot if he's healthy. So I'm monitoring his back. Uh, The other running back that I like is uh, Kerryon Johnson. Uh, Detroit is taking on who again? Um, Detroit is taking on the Chargers. Detroit is playing the Chargers. And so what I saw out of Marlon Mack last week and the injuries on the Chargers, I think it's going to be at home, and I think they're actually going to pound him. Uh, The other wide receiver, I'm going to stay in that uh, Steelers-Seahawks game. I'm going to go Juju. Uh, Juju, I think, against the Seahawks, what we saw Andy Dalton and them do, I think can continue. Tight end, I'm going back to the Ravens-Cardinals game. I'm taking Mark Andrews, and I'm just thinking about loading up against the Arizona Cardinals. We saw what TJ Hawkinson did. I like Mark Andrews. Um, for my flex, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going back to the John Brown well. I think John Brown against the Giants after what we saw Dallas do and how John Brown was the focus of the Buffalo Bills. And I really like him as a big-time uh, monster play. And then my defense, I don't want to spend a lot of money, but I think I'm taking Denver where I'm taking all of the splits that I don't want to use for my uh, actually betting on the Broncos. I want to bet, a, bet on the Broncos, but without betting on Joe Flacco. I don't like the look of Trubisky. I don't like the fact that they have to go up in that altitude. I don't like the fact that Denver Broncos historically are amazing in the first two weeks. So I'm going to bet on the Broncos bouncing back in week two against Trubisky. What do you think of my DraftKings lineup? Well, first of all, you didn't mention one really cool thing about that Broncos pick. Vic Fangio was yes. the Chicago Bears DC last year, and boom, he's going to be going up against his former team. So I like that element of it as well. Um, I do think that stack that you mentioned, Russell Wilson to Tyler Lockett, extremely interesting. That Steelers defense, my God, they have talent at times, but they just seem so. I, I don't want to. You know what they do, Warren? You know what they do? They defend slot receivers with linebackers. And where did Tyler Lockett predominantly play in week one? The slot. That's why I'm trying to hit it. Yeah, that's the Keenan Allen deal from last year. 100% Steelers just, they're they're coaching. I don't know. I don't understand what they do there. But I like that stack. Uh, Plus, they might not be able to run the football. They didn't run it well at home last week. Will they try to run it? Yes. Will they be successful? Maybe not. Will they have to turn more to the air and get gains through Tyler Lockett? 
very well, very likely, especially if the Steelers are playing better and then they're building a little bit of a lead potentially. So I like those Mark Andrews, a hundred percent. He's on my fantasy team. Um, I drafted him for that reason. So I like him as a tight end there for you. And uh, I think that's, I don't see any problems with any of those guys. All right. So that is my, my DraftKings lineup. So if you want to play with me on Sunday, uh, if you want to message me who you're going with, who I should switch to, uh, let's get it going, man. I'm trying to make some money on this stuff. Warren, you're the man. We went a little bit heavy because the information is so damn good. Uh, Thank you so much for caring about the 33%. Let's listen to the music really quick. Hey. Hey. Warren, you're the man. Uh, Any final message for the homies in the 33%? Watch these games, watch these personnel groupings, make a little bit of money, and uh, and let's hit it again live in studio next week, baby. Hell yeah. Warren, you're the man on the L-E-F-K-O-E. Man, and we will holler at y'all later. Peace, guys.